Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. All right, welcome back, everyone. It's so good to be here today. Today is January the 8th, and let me just start by saying Happy New Year to all of you. I really do hope that 2021 brings you better things than 2020 did. And I pray that this year be filled with peace in your life, peace in the lives of your loved ones, the people that you care about. And I, I just hope that when you look back a year from now, you'll actually see that the hand of God in, was present in your life and that you were blessed and that you do have many things to be thankful for. And I think today, yes, we do have a lot of things to be thankful for. And it's easy to forget that because we see what happened over the past year and how people suffered and how in some cases it appears that some people suffered needlessly. I know we see that often where it appears that there's help available to people, but they somehow they just don't get it. We've had a lot of civil unrest, of course, over the past 12 months, and it appears to be spilling over into the new year. And one of the interesting things that I had followed, <clears throat> excuse me, during the past 12 months was um, before Donald Trump was elected uh, as the president, there were at least two individuals that I knew of that had prophesied or predicted or foretold the fact that he would be elected president. And when it came to pass, both of these individuals, one who passed away, um, actually the one passed away, if, I think, a few days after the inauguration back in 2016, and the other one is still here today. Um, after those predictions or those prophecies were made public back then, and then it actually came to pass that uh, Donald Trump became the president, it almost, I don't know how to put this, but it almost kind of um, put the ministry of, of prophecy and the office of a, of a prophet into the forefront in the church world. And this is interesting because I've been a believer since back in the 80s when I consciously called out on the name of Jesus. You know, sometimes I think back and I remember as a kid praying, and I don't remember how old I was at the time, but I was quite young, probably under 12, and just looking out the window up into the heavens and being conscious of the fact that God knew me. I don't know how else to put it other than that, but I really believed that. And of course, as I got older, I became just like any other teenager and uh, the, the temptations and all of the stuff that you, you go through as a teenager. Uh, by temptations, I'm talking about not just you know some of the obvious things, but the not so obvious, like the feelings of worry. I remember as a kid, I never worried about anything, but then I started to practice worrying as I was starting to get older and trying to fit in to the world and wondering where where is my place in all of this and not feeling like I had one. Those are the kinds of tests that I'm talking about that really have an, they affect everything, you know, because if you're not really feeling good about who you are, where you are and what you're doing, it colors your entire life and everything around it. But thankfully, that was a brief period of time. And uh, at the age of um, 20, I believe, Call that on the name of Jesus. It was a Friday night. I'll never forget it. Uh, I was aware of what the sinner's prayer was because it was explained to me, but I'd already read the New Testament uh, before that time. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to do this, I have to really commit to it. That's what I believed. I have to really take it seriously. And what I mean commit 
I mean, by doing what the Bible said, what God said, living how we should be living and interacting with other people, how we should be interacting with other people and walking in love and walking in forgiveness and, and doing the right thing. And um, I thought, you know, if I don't really commit to that, then it's not a real, this isn't real what I'm doing. And nobody told me that. I just felt like that's what it was. I, I guess it's kind of like no one enters the military, or, or at least you shouldn't. I know people have, but um, I, I guess today you wouldn't enter the military without really thinking it out. So you, uh, realizing that you're, you could be in a position where your life could be on the line. And so I guess that's what I mean. I thought back then that this is, this is for life what I'm about to pray right now. And so I prayed the sinner's prayer like two or three different ways. I wanted, I wanted to make sure I did it right. And, uh, and yeah, at that moment, a weight lifted off of me. Now, I'm not going to tell you that that weight stayed off of me the rest of my life and it was all roses. You know, it wasn't. But from that point forward, even in the worst of times, I never felt alone. And, and even if there was the temptation to think, hey, you know what, you're alone. There's nobody with you. There's nobody standing uh, by your side um, in, in whatever the situation was. Or the thought that, hey, you know, one day you might quite possibly be alone. Those thoughts didn't carry the same uh, power that they did previously to that because I knew that God was there for me. And I believe that God loved me. And I knew that when bad things happen, it wasn't like God allowed it to happen. In other words, it was... I'm in a place, I'm a, I'm in, the world is a battlefield. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 4, around verse 4, says that uh, the God of this world is not the God of heaven. And so people wonder why bad things happen to good people. It's because we're not living in a place where God's will is just automatically done. You know, that's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray in this way, thy will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. Well, what if you don't pray that way? Right? And really, the Bible's kind of clear about it. You have not because you ask not. You know, we, we assume a lot of things. We make a lot of assumptions. And then when we do so, we come to a conclusion and then we get mad uh, or things come to a conclusion that we didn't want. And then we get mad and then people blame God for it. But anyway, I get back to this um, about these men prophesying that uh, Donald Trump would be the president. And after that, after 2016, and he was elected, I noticed that a lot of people jumped on the prophecy bandwagon. Books were written about prophecy, and people are in these different prophetic ministries. And I first, let me stop. By, start by saying this uh, relative to the prophetic gifts. Uh, I believe there is a ministry in the New Testament of the prophet because we see it in the book of Acts. There was a prophet named Agabus. Now, some people think, well, there was no prophets really after Jesus, just like there were no apostles after Jesus. But Recognize that in the Old Testament, the prophets, their ministry was to, basically, they preached the gospel, but Jesus hadn't come yet. What they did, they were talking about Jesus, they were talking about the will and the plan and, of God, and there were two types of people, two types of people that had the Spirit of God on them in the Old Testament, the kings and the priests. They both were anointed by God to serve in those offices. But uh, in, in the latter days, See, in the early days, he spoke to us by the prophets, but the Bible says that in the latter days, he's spoken to us through his son. And Jesus is the ultimate uh, prophet. He's the ultimate apostle. 
He has all of those ministry gifts in, in one person, apostle, prophet, pastor, preacher, teacher, evangelist. He has all of those ministries in one person. And then it says he has set some in the body, meaning in the church, apostles, prophets. And sometimes when we look back at, at apostles, we look at the uh, maybe somebody who would be in that ministry in current day, um, and then somebody who was one of the original 12, or I guess you could say 13, because right, Paul would be um, the one who was, like the Bible says, born at a time. But the, but the point is, is Jesus already came. And the foundation of the church was already laid. The first generation is over. The people that actually lived and breathed and walked uh, with Jesus, they were quite different than the people that came after. And I don't want to say they're, um, let's just put it this way. In the book of Revelation, the foundation that we see given in the vision to John, we see there's 12 foundations in the New Jerusalem. And those foundations are the prophet, are the uh, apostles. They were the foundation. So they're foundational of the foundation of the church, and that foundation will never be dug up and rebuilt. So it's not like the, the apostle of today holds that same position of the apostle of old. Just like the prophets, Agabus was a New Testament prophet who prophesied, took Paul's belt and said, whoever is the owner of this will be arrested if he goes to Jerusalem. Right. So that's an example of foretelling. So I'm bringing this up because... Again, we have this ministry gift that's really under misunderstood today, and um, people. And let me just pull this scripture verse out and read it to you before I go on any further. It's in Amos chapter three, verse number seven. The book of Amos chapter three and verse number seven. It says, "Surely the Lord God will do nothing but He reveal it uh, His secret unto His servants, the prophets." So again. Let me read that to you. Let me read the, um, let's see what the American King James Version says. It says, surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he reveals the secret to his servants, the prophets. So there's a lot of people in that prophetic ministry today. And, you know, I don't want to judge anybody because I know that even people that love God miss it. I know that I've missed it. I know that you've missed it. You know, we all miss it. But the th there's something about speaking in the name of of God saying that God hath said, um, that adds another layer of um, importance to it when compared with saying something like, I believe. Saying, I believe, why do you believe what you believe? Well, maybe you say because the Bible says it. But when you said God says, then it adds another, uh, a different amount of weight to it, I guess. And, um, you know, I've heard these people say, well, this is what's happening. God has revealed to me and there's these different prophetic ministries, and people are attracted to it because people want to know what the future is. And a lot of people in this ministry say that, well, you know, God's revealed the future to them, and they write books about it, and, you know, they become very famous about it. And, you know, there are gifts. I'm saying that there are gifts, but sometimes these gifts can be misused, sometimes purposefully and sometimes not purposefully. Back in the day, uh, there was a prophetic ministry in New York, and before I went there, the people that took me warned that the person, it, it was a, a woman evangelist, and she had the ability to, they said she had a gift, and she could see the f people's future. And sometimes she would tell them, God said you need to do this, and the people would do what she said, and they would be tremendously blessed. But other times the opposite would happen. 
and they would she would say things that God hadn't said and that people would follow along and then they would suffer loss. And so I kind of thought to myself, I wonder what's going to happen. So I, I decided to go there. And at the end, there was a prayer line and I um, got up in the prayer line. And when she came down the prayer line, she got to me. And basically what she prophesied over me was what my skill set was. And she was 100% dead on. And then she told me what my future would be based on that skill set. And it still hasn't happened yet. But, you know, what, what am I going to say? I'm not going to say that she was wrong because I haven't lived my life out yet. Maybe it will happen. Maybe it won't. And then another time I went up, and now a period of time passed between these two visits. <clears throat> so it's not like she would remember me out of all of the people that, at least unless she had a photographic memory. Maybe she did. I don't know. And then next time I went up, and she was, they threw this prayer line at the end. And um, she would prophesy over people. And, and, and that's what people went up to this prayer line for, to get a word from the Lord. And I remember I was standing in this line. and was about in the middle of about 12 people, I would say. It wasn't a huge group. And this time I prayed and I said, Lord, um, if you can hear me, and I know you can, and this is your spirit, your Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to block, out of respect to me, her from seeing anything about what I'm doing or what I'm where I'm going or what my future might be. I'm asking that you just put up a blank wall. And if it's not you and the spirit is maybe her own spirit, I'm asking you to do the same. I'm asking you to block it and make it impossible for her to see anything about me at all. Now, keep in mind, this woman had an evangelistic ministry and she preached and she taught about salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, that there was no other name given under heaven whereby we could be saved, that we're saved by grace through faith and not, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. That's what she preached. But she also had this prophetic ministry and that's where the controversy came in. Right? And so in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. But yet I did pray this prayer before I got up in the prayer line, you know, in, inside, under my breath. I don't know which one it was. I think it's a combination of both so that people on either side of me couldn't hear me, what I was saying. And I got up in that prayer line and, you know, right in the middle there, she comes down the line. She's saying everything to each person. She gets to me. And when she gets to me, she puts her head down like hesitant for a minute. And then she looks up at me, studies me for a second, and then moves on to the next person. So what happened? God did exactly what I asked him to do. He completely put a block up so she couldn't see anything about me. I thought this was interesting at the time because what it did was it gave me the confidence to know that there's no such thing as a super believer, uh, like a, somebody that has something that is totally unavailable to me, that in in the heavenly world, there are no superstars. There's Jesus and there's his church. And no matter, the church is looked at in the scriptures like as being one body, just like a physical body. 
And you know that one part of the body can't say to another part of the body, I have no need of you. But the same body has the same blood going through it. It's, it's, it's the same life. And at, at that point, I realized a few things. And this is what I'm going to share. And this is regarding what you may have heard. Uh, and, and I think this will really help you. In Romans chapter 8, verse number 4. This is the first scripture I want to read. In Romans chapter 8, verse number 4, it says... Um, oh, maybe, maybe, let me check this out. I'm sorry, 814. Uh, in Romans 814, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, this is a different covenant. We live in a better covenant established upon better promises. We don't have to rely on, quote-unquote, prophets or apostles or pastors or teachers to lead us. Now, are there people out there that can help you, encourage you, and give you guidance? Absolutely, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we don't have to put our faith in somebody to lead us in place of having the Spirit of God do that for us. Again, for as many, Romans 8, 14, as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You have God's Spirit. If you're a believer, you have God's Spirit in you. Now, I don't want to like debate about things like baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking with love in tongues. That's a different subject for a different day. But I'm saying that um, as a believer and having the Holy Spirit, you can be led by the Spirit of God. Okay, so let's just end that part right, right there. Now, what does it say in... Um, let, let's read the next two verses. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear... You have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That means Daddy, Daddy in, in the English uh, language, basically. That's what the translation is. In other words, it's a real, live, meaningful connection between you and, and your Father in heaven. And then it says in verse 16, For the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So you think that God loves one child more than another? Think about that just for a minute. So let me not, let's not just stop there. I don't want to bog down there, but let's look at another scripture verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and then starting in verse number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 9. I'm using a, uh, the eSword study Bible right now on my uh, desktop, just in case you're wondering. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2. Verse number nine for it's written. This is first Corinthians starting in verse number nine, but it, as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them to us by his spirit for the spirit searches all the things, yea, the deep things of God. So now here's another interesting thing. God has revealed them to us, not by the prophets, but by his spirit. Eyes not seen, ears not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him, but but God has revealed them to revealed them, them things to us by his spirit. Us, meaning every single person who believes. You have the same access to God as any other ministry gift does. And again, that's not to discount the ministry gifts. I look at it like this. Every person can cook. Every person can learn how to cook a meal, make a dinner, uh, prepare a dish. But not everyone is a chef. 
Do you see the difference there? All right, let's go on a little bit further. Same book, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. And verse number nine. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. So here's another thing. And let's go down even a little bit further from there. For now we see through a glass darkly. Notice it doesn't say clearly there. <laughs> but then face to face. For I now, For I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. So that's pretty big. So it's almost saying like um, we see through the glass darkly, but then face to face. One day you'll see Jesus face to face. You'll actually look into his eyes and you will see his eyes looking back into your eyes. What a, ma what a magnificent moment that will be. And you know in part. So we know what God has revealed to us by his spirit. We know what God has revealed to us by his um, word. But just notice here, we know in part, verse number nine, and we prophesy in part. I think the problem is, is that people that have this gift, the people that come to them, they don't want them to prophesy in part. They want them to prophesy in full. They don't want to tell them what's going to happen in part. They want to tell them what's going to happen in full. And I think that people that have that gift feel the pressure and have the temptation to oftentimes take what is only a partial picture and make it a complete one. Now, imagine this if you had the gift. And, and I've seen this before and I've actually done this before. Sometimes you get an insight into something and it's a partial insight. Have you ever had this happen before? It's a partial insight. And you draw a complete conclusion based on the partial insight. But then when more information comes along, what happens? You change the conclusion because the more information changes that final outcome. Let me say that again. Let me try and say it a little clearer. Sometimes you have a certain amount of information. It gives you a partial insight into something. It's just like, again, verse number 12 in 1 Corinthians 13. For now we see through a glass darkly. We know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. So we know in part. I don't think any of us can say we know in full. But yet we project this onto other people sometimes when they have an insight that no one else has. We kind of elevate them, and it's understandable why we do that. Because there's a security in knowing something in full that isn't there when you know in part. Does that make sense? Of course it does. And so I think that's why sometimes people want to have answers to questions. They're not secure in going by faith in certain areas because knowing in part is not good enough for them. When they see things that happen that make it appear that the Bible isn't saying what it's really saying, then rather than, it's almost like if somebody accused somebody that you know and trust of doing something that you know they'd never do, and they're looking for evidence, but you don't need any evidence because you know that person that well. You know they would never do or say something like that. It's totally out of character for them. So even if there's only one or two people in your lifetime that you knew that well, that you would say, hey, they would never do that, you still can follow this, what I'm saying. And it's the same thing is true with God. Once you begin to know God, you know that when someone blames him of maybe um, being able to help someone but deciding not to do it, you know that's not true. That's not the God of the Bible. 
And again, we can go into scriptures that bear this out, why good people fail to receive from God in certain situations. And it has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with them. You know, and this is one of the things that, and, and there's examples of things in the natural that help us under thing, understand things in the spirit. Sometimes in the natural, and I was guilty of this for uh, a whole decade of my life uh, earlier on, and quitting is just so easy to do. And sometimes when you quit and somebody offers help, Sometimes, you, have you ever not wanted the help? Have you ever just wanted to throw the towel in and you were so emotional about it, you just wanted to walk away and just take the loss and not fight, not fight back? You just grew tired of fighting? It happens in the natural. We do things that make no sense at all. It's like, why would you walk away from that? Why would you do that? And simply put, the reason why we do certain things is because internally sometimes we've just had enough and it doesn't it doesn't matter that two plus two, we're not thinking logically in that situation. We just throw the towel in and we walk away. And then as time goes by, sometimes we, we regret it. And there's things that happen like that spiritually where you're trying to help somebody else, but internally they've already given up. Okay, let's not get bogged down in any one uh, part of that. Hopefully it's not too late for that. But 1 John chapter 2, verse 26, and this is the next one. 1 John chapter uh, 2. <clears throat> Excuse me. And notice this scripture. It says, These things I have written to you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which you have received of him, of God, of Jesus, stays in you. And you need not that any man teach you. But the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie. And even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. So here's the interesting thing. Again, what, where is the focus of our faith in the New Testament? Right? Isn't it on Jesus? Right? Jesus in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And again, let me read this to you. But the anointing which you have received of him stays in you, and you need not that any man teach you. Now, there are teachers in the in the church, so what does that mean? Well, it's just like anything else. These are gifts. These are people who have ministry gifts here that can help us. But as far as the individual person go, you don't have a need to get locked in to any one person. In other words, you don't need to follow a personality. You don't need to follow a man or in a lot of cases now, a woman. They don't have to become your teacher. Matter of fact, when you get right down to it, Jesus himself said that back in, uh, I believe it's Matthew 24. Actually, I'm one chapter ahead of myself. It's Matthew 23. This is talking about the Pharisees, but Listen to what it says starting in verse number 5, Matthew 23, 5. This is the English Standard Version. It says, They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Those are those long robes that they wore with the wide bottoms. Um, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue, greetings in the marketplace, and being called rabbi 
by others. And you know what rabbi means? It means teacher. They love being called teacher. But you are not to be called rabbi. This is Jesus speaking. For you have one teacher and you are all brothers. Isn't that interesting? It says here, here you see people exalting themselves and placing themselves above everybody else around them. And Jesus is saying not to do that. In other words, don't, you're all brothers. In other words, you're all on equal ground. And then it says in verse number nine, and call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Verse number 10, neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Can you see what's happening there? It's the exact opposite of what we see in a lot of the church world today, um, unfortunately. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with one person standing up before a whole crowd of people and, and preaching and praying and that kind of thing. But I'm saying that uh, in, in the individual's heart, you can't be lifted up and look at yourself as, quote unquote, a teacher of teachers. I'm just saying what Jesus said. I mean, how else can you read this? Obviously, he put teachers in the church, but the teachers are there to serve. He put prophets in the church, but the prophets are there to serve. The evangelists are there to serve. The pastors are there to serve, not to be served. And if you look at the life of the original um, apostles, if you look at the life of the original disciples, I mean, isn't it true that through many tribulations, they went into the kingdom of heaven? Isn't it true that Paul went through one test and one trial after another. And I don't look at tests and trials like something that, oh, you know, we're just barely hanging on. Um, you know, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Yet we do wrestle. We do wrestle. And so I, I look at this from a perspective of the tests and trials from God's vantage point are something that we are going to overcome. There are things that we're going to beat. There are challenges that we are going to triumph in. It, Like it says, this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Apostle John said that. And it, the gospel message is a message of victory over the test challenges and trials that are in the world. However, there's a certain amount of uh, grievousness that comes with having to face these trials, tests, and challenges. And so to get a complete picture, no, we're not supposed to be beaten down. But yes, we do face a lot of challenges. And when, when Jesus explained this in the parable of the sower, I mean, he put it in just such a way that it makes it easy to understand, but it's also easy to forget. Uh, Mark chapter 4 he explained it starting in verse 14. He says, The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes the word away the word that was sown in them. It comes immediately. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves and endure for a while. This is a place that I've been in um, here and there throughout my life. I'm just going to admit it to you. Even knowing what the word says, I find that sometimes, and I immediately receive it with gladness. I re immediately receive what the Bible says with gladness. And 
And how can you not when you look at all these promises that are in the New Testament? And But then what happens? You know, you get busy, things happen, and you get distracted, and then you start thinking about the problem. And it says here, they endure for a while, and then when tribulation or persecution arises account on account of the word, immediately they fall away. That happens sometimes. Sometimes it's not persecution. Sometimes it's tribulation. In other words, one problem after another, especially if it's the same kind of problem. It happens like dominoes. Right? It, it takes endurance. It takes uh, perseverance to keep on keeping on, to keep on believing and not doubting when the exact opposite thing that you've prayed for starts to happen in multiplicity. <laughs> I guess that's about the only way to put it. Um, and that goes right along with verse 18. And the others are the words, are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But those are they which are sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bring forth fruit. Now, another um, one of the other gospels says they bring forth fruit with patience and perseverance. So that's a that's a uh, a great way to sum up this entire parable of the sower. You have to be patient. You have to persevere. And let's face it, if everything went your way, if the visible circumstances were siding with you instead of against you, then why would you have to persevere? Why would you need patience? Why would you need endurance? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. And so what's happening now um, in the world around us, I look at it this way. I look at it that, you know, maybe these people, and I, I don't want to judge them, the people that have these prophetic ministries. I don't want to be guilty of judging them in, in my own heart. Because the Bible says the same measure that you judge, it will be judged back to you again. So if God revealed to me that these people were just off, that they were in the flesh or, you know, just trying to, after personal gain or anything like that, what does the Bible say that when a brother falls— to restore them in a spirit of meekness, lest you yourself be tested. So if somebody falls or somebody's wrong, then, you know, it's it's easy to take shots at them, but it takes more, it takes some, a level of maturity to try and restore them. And of course, if they don't want to be restored, right, by the, by the fruits we've known them, but there's a lot of people out there who are preaching the gospel of saved by grace through faith, the you know, there are, they do have a good message, but some of the other things are maybe not where they should be. And again, these people, if you're, especially if you're in a public place and you have a high level of visibility, the amount of testing and temptation that probably you're presented with at that level is going to be a lot greater, you know, to compromise because people put their, and I know that we're not supposed to do this, but historically, People very easily take their confidence and put it in people instead of God, and it happens all the time. And then when they get disappointed, we only have one high priest that stands between us and God, and that's Jesus, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, risen from the dead. He's, he's the only high priest the Bible talks about now that stands between man and God. It says he lives to make intercession for us, always. So these are just a few thoughts. I wasn't even going to talk about this today, but now that I've been talking about it so long, like 35 minutes or so, I think that I'm just going to have to... I was going to talk about endurance, 
that I've talked so much about this. That hopefully, it's you, you've benefited from it, and uh, it's helped you put some things into perspective. You know, to sum it up, yeah, there are prophetic gifts out there. Most of the time, when we look at prophecy in the New Testament, it's there for edification, exhortation, and comfort. Bible talks about that in First um, Corinthians chapter fourteen. You can read about the gift of prophecy and tongues and. And that's the difference between speaking or forth-telling, speaking under inspiration to encourage, uplift people. There's an element of that that happens when people are preaching. Sometimes they go in and out of prophecy. And there's a difference between um, forth-telling, speaking under inspiration, and foretelling, talking about future events which have yet to happen. And the people that do that, again, recognize this. They know in part and they prophesy in part. If you if you try and get them to know in full or to fill in pieces that aren't there, that's where error happens. That's where people begin to miss it. Anyway, that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. I will be back shortly. We'll talk more about some of these things. I think they'll help you. I hope you have a, a blessed and a prosperous 2021. This is Jim. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon. 